Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Honest Retail. Super excited to be here with CJ and Taylor as usual. Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Cam? I'm doing good. CJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, back from some travel, but uh, fully ensconced in my my San Francisco apartment. And my dog sitting next to me. She was she was very interested in in Taylor's dog barking earlier. <laughs> Doesn't matter, she's also here. Yeah, everyone. Like every meeting I've had over the last uh, like uh, day and a half has just heard like kid crying in the background because we're like deep in the throes of, of body training here which is like if uh is for any listeners that's gone through that it's not like a very fun experience <laughs> so like i got dogs and kids crying and stuff so i appreciate anybody who's done a phone call with me and their level of patience over the last 48 hours so um <laughs> Cool. Well, um, let's kind of start rounding up with um, with some brands that caught our eye. Uh, I know we were talking before and I said I had a few, so I'll start us off this week. Um, both of my brands are actually um, from um, New Mexico, which is not really like a big CPG hub when we think about products, but um, one I found at um, Expo, so it was called um, New Mexico Pinon Coffee, and I hope I'm saying Pinon correctly, um, but I grabbed a bag on my way out like day three, uh, flew the red eye that Friday night back into to Jersey um, that Saturday morning, and like I didn't have any coffee back in my house. Um, ripped open that bag and like thought it was just spectacular. And um, I'm you know, my dad's side of the family is from New Orleans, so we always drink like coffee with chicory in it sometimes. Um, and it kind of reminded me of that a little bit in terms of like the smoothness. Uh, and then it's funny because they ended up signing up for for Weesock and I, I got close to the founders and everything. And they were like, yeah, it's it's kind of like that if trickery was good. And so they have very like harsh feelings of trickery versus me. Um, and I've now grown to really like this like coffee. I just bought uh, like two two pound bags to just have here at the house. Um, and I'm kind of like obsessed with just how smooth um, the coffee is itself. Um, and you never really see kind of like an innovative, um, you know, ground coffee or coffee bean company. It's kind of always in the RTD space. So I um, was really intrigued by that company. Um, and then the other one was uh, Tao's Bakery. Uh, or actually, let me make sure I'm getting that right. Tao's Bakes. So T-A-O-S Bakes. Um, I ordered a bunch of stuff from this company. I ordered like a 12 pack of mixed bars. I opened, I ordered like these spiced pistachios. I ordered this like banana granola thing and every single product was just like killer. Like I tweeted about it this morning. I said like, this is probably the best product lineup I've ever tried since like being in this industry. The product was just so good. And I continuously like always try new products. And I think like, I usually like a new product or, or you know, I'm usually more let down than anything. Um, but I'm rarely like blown away. And I kind of likened it to like the first time I tried Ithaca hummus. Like I was like, oh, this is the best hummus I've ever tried. Like it's hard to really have that experience with like a granola or a bar. Cause I feel like we're always trying them and they're always just kind of like just there. So we're just trying to find something that's not going to necessarily like blow us away, but just something like, Hey, we're in a rush or we just want something healthy. So we're going to reach for that. Um, but was really just impressed with like the packaging, the flavor profile and the mouthfeel. Like it just feels like it just came out of the oven and everything's like freshly baked. And it was just a really, really awesome product. So those are my two products for, for this week. Um, I'm, I'm hardcore buying into New Mexico as a CPG <laughs> for the next several years that's and cool. I'm excited for those two brands. So uh, hopefully, cool. yeah, they're really good. Yeah, that's great. I don't know if you guys remember, I was just in New Mexico a couple episodes ago in truth or consequences. So I wonder how close that is. To... <laughs> did you see Pinon? Uh, did you see like Pinon coffee, like on the, like any menus or anything? I guess it's like a big regional thing down there. I don't know what it is. It's like a seed or a nut or something, but they like makes the coffee like super smooth. I, I, I didn't, but um, I, I'll keep my eye out for it next time. This, this Tao Spakes, like they seem to have some really cool packaging and they seem to have some yeah. great, um, um, distribution like you know Whole Foods, Publix, um, King Super. So just keep an eye on them. Yeah, it was killer stuff. Um, Taylor, how about you? Taylor, you might be on mute. 
Yep. No, I'm here. Sorry, guys. Um, okay, so I have two, and they're kind of synergistic with one another. So I have been taking on a little bit of a different approach where I am scaling back from my drinking. If anyone follows me on Twitter, I'm starting to provide more, as I call it, sober curious hacks and tips as I go along the way. Um, I don't know. It's just been interesting. So uh, it has been uh, immense trial and error with all those products, um, with like non-alcoholic stuff. I, I, I haven't really found too many non-alcoholic wines that I like yet. Um, I know we talked about, I think proxy was one that, um, I have my attention. I haven't tried it yet. Um, anyway, so on the beer side of a few, anyway, I finally found my non-alcoholic spirit. Um, it's, I think anyone that's kind of in this boat of like trying to cut back or scale back and drinking it, you need to find like your go-to. And so I, I have found it. It is here. Um, so the company is called Ritual. And uh, Ritual has, uh, I believe, uh, at least a non-alcoholic, so like a tequila alternative, a whiskey alternative, and a few other alternatives is what they call it. Um, having worked for like five or six of the biggest tequila companies, including Patron for many years, like I will say firsthand that I, it is very hard for me to tell the difference between their tequila alternative and tequila, which I think is crazy. So I have pretty much nonstop promoting this product, even more than Listerine on my handles. The founder found me through, um, I believe his social media coordinator last week and said like, I've been alerted by my team on social media that you like my product. Um, I do. I haven't tried the whiskeys or anything like that yet, but for those who do like tequila, um, Zero, uh, ritual zero proof tequila alternative is, is by and large out of everything I've tasted the closest to tequila. Um, and then on the flip side, on the mixer side, um, I was introduced to a company called craft mix. So, uh, it's an instant cocktail mix. They have flavors like, I don't know, passion, Paloma, mango, margarita. Uh, and I, I wrote down how they recommend you do it, but you put a shot, you put a shot in a cup and then you, um, put, let's see, the mix and then water and then you shake it and then you have your drink. Um, so I've been using that mix with my tequila alternative as well as some other mixes. But um, so anyway, I thought I would do one, try this tequila alternative called Ritual. And if you need a mixer, whether you're using it for alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverages, I thought Craft Mix is very good. Yeah, I love the team, uh, Jake and everybody over at Craft Mix. They're uh, they're definitely good people, and the branding and packaging is really cool. Um, I, th I think I spoke, yeah, I spoke to the Ritual um, team last week, and I, I think we met them at Expo. They were making like whiskey sours or something um, mm. from from one of their um, non alcoholic um, beverages. But yeah, it was it was really good. I thought the cocktail and everything. So uh, I think it's like hard to replicate that burn from a few that I've tried, but they, <laughs> they do a good job of like doing that on the, I believe it's like a bourbon on a whiskey, but um, yeah, I haven't tried the tequila. So I'll have to go search that out for sure. So good. Uh, yeah, actually, they are in Diageo's Distill Ventures program. I, I know Diageo is really high on them. Oh God, I, I'm telling you, I, 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 and I even like, I even created like little tumblers to bring like illegally to restaurants now. And I just asked for like a salted rim. I'm like, I'm totally ruthless. I don't care. It's just, it's, it's working for me. So I feel like I've heard that across the board is like everyone obviously has such different flavored, you know, preferences. Like you just kind of have to find what works for you. And there's so many things out there and CJ, you see them and you see them cam. Like, I think you can't really kind of unanimously say everything. One thing is going to work for, for all, but for me, I, I have found something that as of right now works pretty well as a good alternative on a day-to-day. -day, so I'm excited about it. I saw a stat the other day and, and I'm, I'm trying to verify this because it's it's difficult because there's it's really hard to get good syndicated data for um, independent BevAlk channels. Like that's, that's always been a, you know, a challenge. Like if you, if you pull like Nielsen data for certain brands it might totally show incorrectly how much they sell because they, they might over index in independent liquor stores and you have no visibility but someone said that you know showed some data that said that you know non-alcoholic in general you know you know, including across beer wine spirits went from around 300 million in purchases in 2020 to 3 billion in 2021 and I, like that would be kind of shocking if it if it jumped that much but even if it jumped half that much that is a that, that is a fairly um shocking statistic and and one that um and one that 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 we'll definitely be watching wow. closer um so my my product is also a mixer <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called betty buzz um yeah. 
someone introduced me to this. And so turn like the reason I'm interested in this, and I, and I haven't had a chance to try it, it's on its way to me, is um it's it's uh what is why am I blanking on his name? He he did he did aviation gin. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Ryan it's Reynolds. Blake Lively's, right? It's Blake yeah, it's Lively's. Blake Lively's. It's like, like I'm really fascinated to figure out, like, hey, like, you know, when I look at the polish here on this website, like, I, I would not be surprised whatsoever. And I'm trying to kind of find out through back channels if Diageo is not involved in this too. And like, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see if celebrity works in the mixer aspect. I think a lot of people don't realize like how big the mixer market is. Like, uh, Fever Tree is a publicly traded like multi-billion-dollar company. Um, so there, there's, there's definitely a market out there. But that, you know, like any kind of branded proposition, you need a, a really big amount of breakthrough to kind of become a, a, you know, a national proposition like that. So I'm fascinated to learn if, um, if, if yeah. Betty does is backed by Diageo to try it. I'm excited to see if it's, it's any good because, again, they're, they're going after a market that we already know is pretty big. And for some reason, people are willing to pay like three times as much for, for high quality mixers. Than, than what the ingredients would imply. Like, I mean, if you, if you told me these things were sodas, you'd have to cut the cost by 60%. Um, but because they're mixers, you can get away with that price point. And if it works, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm surprised how like complimentary, I mean, obviously this was done on purpose, but the complimentary branding aviation <laughs> is pretty uh, is pretty killer. And they're, they're following for like, being under 100 posts is already like uh, 125k so um yeah i mean this is just <clears throat> we've seen this in a bunch of stuff and i was gonna put it as a topic today but like you just saw i think like bella hadid like just invested in like kin and so you see you're starting to just and they were talking through um on uh, on modern retail about like celebrity partnerships and how to take it a step further but it definitely seems like uh the uh, the rented Lively's uh, household has it kind of down to a science at this point, so it's awesome to see. Yeah, his, I mean, his agency is just so good that like I, I mean I, I'm kind of I'd be apt to bet on just about anything that comes out of there. Yeah, there's a level of like self awareness with everything he does. That's like uh, it's pretty it's pretty impressive to see for sure. Um, the other product that I've I've kind of enjoyed recently is I mean I, I mean everybody knows Poppy. Um, and that, and that, you know, the kind of prebiotic soda range. I, I, I got sent a, a some samples of um, a, a company called Mortal. So it's like Mortal Kombucha, Mortal, you know, prebiotic sparkling water, and then Mortal Hard Kombucha. Which, like, on the one hand, they are a little bit derivative of of um, like the liquid death positioning, where they're, you know, you know trying to, to to be an edgier aspect of a not too edgy category, but. Um, I really liked the founder. She she comes out of Crispin Porter Bagueski, which is actually exactly where Mike Cesario comes out of. I think for for Liquid Death, so it's a great creative shop. Um, and then her just her product was was taste right. I didn't expect to like the prebiotic soda, but I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, so it's called Mortal Kombucha. I think is the easiest way to search it, and you can see all their product lines. Nice. Yeah, I mean, we don't do an episode for a week, and we come back with a lot of cool brands. One other thing for me is like I tried the new uh, gigantic um, candy bar flavor, the double dark mint. I don't know if either of you have tried a gigantic candy bar, but like that's they're, they're just so good. It's it's like it's not you know any fake type of sugar. It's just real sugar that's a little bit less sweet. Like it's still letting giving you that indulgence just without like the like crazy insane sugar levels um and like that's the value proposition i like is like not functional in terms like not super functional but just like really great tasting so really love what Stu and the team over there are building and the new flavor was killer do you have any idea what their what their size is um um i i don't think i think i think they're kind of like um you know they're definitely pre-series a but i think like um i think they're probably like putting the seed together like sometimes soon unless they've already like announced something but like right around that range probably huh. a strong regional brand that's you know starting to increase nationwide you know we're since we're talking about midday squares we might as well just launch right into that one after yeah January. no i think that makes a ton of sense and i mean like, anybody you know anybody who kind of obviously we had jake on the show you know a few weeks ago um 
they uh, launched their chocolate gun crazy video, you know, yeah. a few weeks and they've been really kind of stacking, you know, W's here for the last year or two. Um, and they just raised, um, you know, a really strong round, um, you know, $10 million yeah. uh, round here. Um, they have their own factory. They've got their, you know, they own their own production. Um, and I always find it super interesting when the infrastructure is there um, and you're pumping money into it versus some of these companies where you're kind of, uh, investing for them to figure it out, but it seems like the foundations here for midday squares where they already know the levers to pull with this, um, $10 million. If I had to imagine it's, it's probably going to go into, and I think they mentioned like putting together a killer team who's already done this in the past and, and going out there and, and putting together that executive team. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Um, but also I think they're, you know, they've been sitting on those three SKUs for a while now too. So I think you're going to see them start to push that SKU diversity and optimization, you know, pretty hard here and, and a lot more innovation over the next few years. So, um, yeah, excited to see, you know, what they're doing. Let's see, Jay, obviously, Obviously on the um, on the investor side, kind of what's your thought here on you know who invested, what you think it's going to go towards, and, and kind of where this company's headed. And super, I mean, first of all, incredibly comprehensive TechCrunch article. Like I wish I wish every raise had an article accompanied that had this much information in it. Um, but like strong cap table, right? I mean, use Chris. Sorry, say again. Oh, I said it's Christine Hall. She's the best. Oh, yeah. That's who you have to have write it. She's. The OG, she's great. Cool. Um, I mean, City is, a, I mean, a tremendous fund. I, th I think I think they're fun too. I think they're targeting like two hundred million for that, and already have like one hundred and twenty-five in. So maybe this is one of the inaugural investments out of their fund too. They're they're great investors, and then like Boulder Food Groups is there. Kiva from Selva is there, and like you know a bunch of the other angels that are around in and out seem seem tremendous. So I was, you know, it's it's interesting like. They, they even gave the the valuation in here, you know, a $35 million valuation on 8 million trailing. That's almost more of a, you know, it's almost closer to a beverage multiple than it is um, a food multiple, which is tremendous for them, like good for them. And although we've been kind of toying internally at, at, at Gut Radio, like around this idea of like, hey, this, this more snacking oriented brands like a Midday Squares or like a Good Crisp Company or like a Gigantic, if that's something where you can get into someone's like daily consumption pattern, um, I think that the snacks do deserve a little bit of a higher multiple um, because you, you, you're you in a place where you're actually creating behavior change and that behavior change gets people to you know buy boxes of stuff and, and eat one a day type thing, or in my case, like four or five a day if I have a box sitting in my desk. So um i think that i think that overall they're they're building in a category that kind of rewards this higher multiple and i think they're going to use the money for exactly what they said they're going to i mean they're because they own production their their margins are probably a little bit better than the co-packing model um and they're just going to go out and, and and build out a team to to get the feet on the street like i think that that they've been world-class at getting their name out through social and kind of having an awareness a little bit higher than what their, what their distribution is. And now they've got to go through the kind of boring part of, you know, building out a big sales force and getting this into the Walmarts and Kroger's of the world when before they've been in the, the Sprouts and Whole Foods. Yeah. I mean, and I, CJ, kind of like when you, when you've seen kind of previous companies and I, I feel like anybody who is an early adopter, right. Uh, doesn't have a hard time wrapping their head around, you know, midday squares and the value proposition and the product itself's really good. But when a company is at this stage where it's like, okay, now, you know, conventional is on the horizon and you have to go after those, those customers where it's a little bit less willing to, um, you know, part away from the things that they're usually purchasing and maybe the value prop makes a little bit less sense. Like, how do you view like that, that stage of company, like going after that next hurdle where these aren't going to be like those early adopters that they've been knocking down now, <laughs> these are going to be more established kind of customers, like in the ecosphere that they're going after now. Yeah, I mean, you usually want to kind of look for one or two anecdotal data points. Like, I'll use an example. Like, when we invested in the Good Chris company, like, like of course they were killing it at Whole Foods and like Sprouts. Like, if they weren't, then then you know probably not an investable proposition. I was more interested in the fact that even though they were only in the um, in the gluten free section in Walmart they were doing incredibly high velocities out of there as well. So I, I suspect that somewhere in, in midday squares is customer set. They have one or two 
like early proof points that conventional grocery is working. And then, and then it's just kind of a scale up process. You say, okay, you know, we, we know this, this exploratory kind of higher socioeconomic consumer wants them. We have one or two proof points that, that the broader grocery consumer wants them. Now let's go, you know, put enough money into sales and sampling and, and, and overall awareness to go make it work, you know, across you know, all regions of Publix and Kroger and, um, and Albertson, Safeway, et cetera. So it's, it, it, usually you can't have f full conviction at a series. I know they call this their series C in the, in the article, but the, the, the price of it kind of the size of it kind of is, it's a little bit more of like a, a traditional A round, but a good sized A round. And I, I can't imagine that there's guaranteed, you know, success in the larger, larger conventional grocery, but there's probably enough proof points that everyone there has conviction that it will work. Yeah, I mean, I think to do all this with just three SKUs without going into different categories or anything else so far, I mean, there's definitely a ton of growth that's kind of untapped there. Um, Taylor, what was kind of your initial thoughts kind of off of the, the fundraising announcement and, and where you think this company's going next? Yeah, I mean, like I had seen Jake when he was in town a few weeks ago, so we had talked a little bit about his, you know, the, the raise and who was already kind of <clears throat> accounted for in terms of angels and VCs. And so, um, it, it obviously it wasn't a surprise, but it was obviously a super, you know, a super exciting piece of news, I think. And um, I think what I'm hoping for is as they continue to scale and bring in more, you know, additional, I would say additional season leadership from, you know, companies that definitely make sense for them to have on board in terms of brain power and expertise. One of the things, and we talked about it when Jake was on the show last, that I personally, from like a storytelling perspective, most admire about what they're doing is, <clears throat> kind of the rawness of it all. Um, I think they've been able to kind of carve out this fully authentic, transparent narrative all along the way. And I, I hope that as they continue to grow and scale, which they should, and create more products and everything like that, um, they just don't lose sight of that. And I don't foresee they will, because I think that's a huge part of outside of the product and valuation, everything. I think that is kind of their crux, right? Is their bread and butter. Um, but I, I think it's been so crucial to how they've developed their brand. And I even went back to some of their videos and content from you know years ago, even right when they started. And uh, it's just been so damn consistent. <laughs> and so I, I hope that as they kind of make their foray into the next wave of, of their business growth and trajectory that they, they continue to, to prioritize that storytelling and that authenticity and that rawness because um, you want to see the next step, right? You want to be one of these companies that becomes the next midday squares. And I don't think that's only, you know, viewing just from a startup, you know, really early growth stage perspective. I think it's as these companies grow and get money like this, like how does this look? And they've done such a great job at documenting it in a strategic way that captivates their community and engages with their audience. And so I, I just hope it continues. I think it's great. Yeah, definitely to echo that. I, I can't imagine that they brought on any board members or anything during this round that, you know, didn't want to get too much in the way or mess with a good thing. Um, yeah, I think that's the worst thing that could happen here, right, is they, they get away from that original vision and tone that they've kind of set. Um, but I think, you know, um, you know, knowing the the founding team and just kind of seeing what they've done over the last few years, that's probably, you know, what we, you know, don't have to worry about because they seem pretty strong yeah. in their convictions for sure. Yep, 100%. And I awesome. love that. Yeah, I mean, all, all the best of luck to them. Killer product. Can't wait to see what they come out next. Um, you know, another topic that we haven't kind of touched, um, although there's been like whispers, um, you know, over the last few months, um, it was mostly because we've been trying to um, schedule to get the founder on it. Um, and it's really been me kind of dropping the ball in terms of a scheduling um, standpoint. But um, we've seen kind of the slow kind of whispers about ugly getting pulled off of shelves and just kind of like, Social media wasn't posting a ton. Um, you know, the website uh, it kind of wasn't being refreshed, and there was kind of all these kind of cues um, that something was kind of up. And then we obviously saw Hugh um, um, kind of step down in his role as CEO for Ugly Drinks. 
um, you know, this is a brand that was catching fire, it seems like, over the last few years. Um, the, the I, you know, I talked a lot about Tao's Bakes being an amazing product. Like, I felt the same way the first time, like, I opened up, you know, a can of that that Dr. Ugly drink. I mean, the I thought it was just such a cool way. As somebody who doesn't really like the functional soda products and brands that are out there, I thought that that replicating soda flavors through sparkling water was a really cool idea and much more, you know, just resonated a lot more with me. Um, but I did always find it interesting that, like, the main place I found them at was CVS. Um, and it just, there was, you know, some different kind of growth strategies that were um, kind of interesting, um, obviously as a UK brand coming to the States. So um, CJ, happy to start with you, but kind of, you know, what's your thoughts on this, both from like, you know, what might've happened with Ugly, but also I think more importantly, like what you see from beverage brands and some pitfalls um, from your portfolio that, you know, you see uh, a lot of beverage founders kind of make. Well, I mean, I, I, this one, is pretty clearly um, a case of bad margins. Uh, you know, like I I'm with you, Cam. Like the the actual product for Ugly was a revelation. Like I like I was just talking with James, my partner, the other day because we were cleaning the office and we found some old Ugly, and I was like, oh man, this might be the last Ugly fruit punch out there, um, and and enjoyed it quite a bit. But but like it, like when you when you simultaneously go after a DTC strategy shipping water and you started from a place where you you just really didn't have the scale to have margins and, and sparkling water is already a really difficult business because of the price point that LaCroix and some of the in polar lock everyone into it just you, you know you, you had created a situation where where there was it was going to be really really hard to ever get your working capital from anywhere other than investment and 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 there was i think a lot of people just kind of all came to the conclusion that like hey this this isn't a viable business unless its margins like quadruple um and that's just not a place that that you can really get to that easily once you're once you're already kind of at the scale that they were at so it um i continue to think that sparkling water is both a hugely growing business because of the overall trends but a really difficult one to win in, um, but the product was fantastic. Does this change kind of like, um, you know, as you move forward with your investment thesis, when you look at a sparkling water brand, even though it's a continually growing category, kind of like, does it make it harder for you get to get to a yes on an investment there? No, it's, I mean, I guess counterintuitively, it makes it easier to get to a yes. If you have, you know, another example of something where so many other things were right, you know, the branding was right, the product was right, but it reinforces a conviction in your head that, that at the end of the day, these are all businesses and they're selling things for money. Um, if that margin isn't high enough, like, this makes it way easier to say yes or no to something in the future because you have another proof point of margin rules all. Got it. Taylor, what was kind of your, your initial thoughts? Did you see kind of some of the, the whispers kind of coming out and how did you try the product and, and kind of, you know, have you seen this with some of the other, you know, beverage brands you've worked with in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all, you know, we've all kind of said the same thing. I mean, Hugh's great and the team was, you know, on board originally was great. And um, <clears throat> I, I live next to a CVS that had his product. So I went often to buy it. Um, I, I too can like you. I loved, I don't know. I, I, I heard his story from firsthand around his background and, you know, his press experience, I think with Vita Coco, if I'm not mistaken, um, and just his own kind of link to really trying to be a champion for healthier beverages. And it really stuck with me. I thought it was a really, a really compelling story. And sometimes you have brands that just create products to create products. And there isn't really what I call like meat on the bones. And for what I do, you know, that's important. Right. And so from the beginning, I just, I really took to you. I took to the product. I took to kind of their mission and vision. Um, and I like the product. And so I, I agree with everything both of you said. I mean, I love the nostalgic element to, you know, the products. I thought they were good. Um, but I agree with what CJ had said too, where it's like, it kind of speaks to a bigger you know, conversation at hand um, around these are companies that are making money and there are, you know, there are hurdles and obstacles. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's also kind of a little bit of, it sent shockwaves from what I've gathered like across the space too, that, um, you know, it's a very competitive, very concentrated market right now. And there are hurdles and there are obstacles. And so I guess this one just played out really uh, 
externally, right? There's just, I, I don't know a better word, I, my brain is fried, but uh, you guys get what I'm saying. Like, I guess it was very public and very visible. And I'm sure these things have happened many times over, but, um, you know, he was part of the community. So I think it just hit different because we all really respect him and really like the product. And I think we're all, I think we can all kind of stay together. That it's sad to see it go. So CJ, I would hold on to that. I would hold on to that can, man. Oh, I drank it already. <laughs> okay well then never mind <laughs> i think uh like to like you know to bring it to something that's like relevant going on right now um you know last week i was i felt really out of my depth because i was giving like a presentation to a bunch of like sales directors and vps who were you know had like 10 or 20 years on me you know kind of in the industry and i was giving you know uh, like a talk on something that i thought like a lot of people probably already knew a lot about more than me uh, but like the last part of it uh, it opened up like a large conversation about what all these VPs of sales and all these sales directors are really big, big um, uh, CPG companies kind of, um, you know, we're thinking right now, especially about kind of the macro issues that we see and, you know, CJU obviously mentioned margins. And so a lot of them were talking about like, you know, do we need to decrease our price, like increase our prices? Do we just kind of hold our pricing right now, um, given kind of like the inflation issues that are going on? Um, wanted to talk to you guys both. I know this is a little bit of a side tangent, but like obviously you're you're constantly talking to brands all the time. Uh, and CJ, you know, you brought it up, so I'll start with you. But like, what are are you having conversations with your brands right now about like, hey, should we substitute margin to continue to have hit our velocities that we're doing, or hey, listen, we need to protect margin at all costs. It doesn't matter if we take a, a dip in velocity here over the next you know three to four months. Like, uh, you know, margins everything. Yeah, it's it, like, well, first of all, it, it depends if you if you kind of own your production the way that like I'm at Day Squares or Hoplark does. And I'll kind of set that aside because that's the rarer, the rarer outcome. I, I think that interestingly enough, like velocity and, and gross margin are, are, are kind of linked. Like if we take like a, like a Lemon Perfect, for example, they're, you, you know, when you, you want to keep on stepping up in co-packer, uh, you know, you know, the, you know, for, to the Ledestries and the Niagara's of the world. And you want to, and you want to, as soon as you can get by coastal from your co-packing um, standpoint, so that you're not shipping water across the country um, from a single point of distribution. And, and those things can't really happen. You can't get on their radar until you do have a certain amount of volume and, and velocity is going to drive that volume along with, along with points of distribution. So it's like, it, you know, I, I would say it's a more fundamental decision about growth that is made earlier rather than later. And then you just, you kind of have to stay the path. Like if you say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be a high margin business and I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to grow myself out of that margin that's a that's a fine strategy um and and it works and, and and it's also the reason that most cpg acquisitions are you know 200 million dollars or under um then there's the strategy of saying like i think i have a massive addressable market i think i have a product win i think i have the team to execute it and i'm going to grow 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 and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna use a lot of investor capital to do that and i'm going to have a path to high margins but within that if you choose that path if all of a sudden, you know, Costco comes to you and says, hey, I want to open up seven regions. Like you don't say no, because you've already committed to that path. You, you take the cogs hit, you explain to your board why you're doing it. And, and, and potentially you even go out and, and raise additional capital to do that because you've picked a strategy. So I'm, I'm a lot more adamant about, okay, once you've picked a strategy within reason, you have to go execute it. Now in something like ugly, like within reason means you know there there's there's still a place where the where the, the margins are so small that it, like it's never going to be a working proposition, but if you've picked high growth, as long as you have vision to you know fifty five percent margins, let's say is a you know a good place to, to aim for, then um it can it, it can work and or you can or you can protect margins on costs and so I only get concerned when you're like half in half out. Um, and you end up not hitting your your velocity growth or margin goals, then then you're really in trouble. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and Taylor, I mean, is this a conversation that you're having with with some of your brands, or is it top of mind? Has it come up, you know, over the last you know few weeks as as some of these bigger macro problems kind of come into focus for brands? 
Oh yeah, definitely. But I don't think I have anything to add outside of what CJ said on it. I mean, he's obviously the subject matter, more of a subject matter expert, but yes, to answer your question, but I don't have, I don't know if I have much, much else to say about it, but yeah. Great. Yeah. No, it's I, one of the things I like about the dynamic of all of us is sometimes if somebody talks, we're just kind of good being like, yeah, that's, 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 that's the point We're we're good. You know, we don't really like continuously <laughs> add on to it. So um, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, so we, we always do talk about uh, bigger brands and innovation um, there. Um, and so um, I thought it was interesting uh, because a pretty like iconic brand that I always remember growing up um, is Cracker Jack. And so they just created a new line of packaging, which I think was kind of centered around like the new opening day, kind of like a new baseball season opening up here. Um, and it was really focused around the Women's Sports Foundation and they're new, doing like $5 donations. Um, like, I don't know if it's like per bag or something um, on April 7th for opening day. But they basically um, released the, all these Cracker Jill packaging, which um, I think it was kind of honoring different female athletes um, from the past. Um, thought it was a really cool take on like an old school brand. I think a lot of times um, these type of marketing initiatives can seem like a little bit like forced from big CPG companies and they kind of fumble um, when they're trying to do something um, that's, that, that's good. They tend to fumble that, um, from a marketing standpoint, but I actually thought this was executed, um, pretty well. Um, Taylor, love to start on your thoughts on like, one, are you a Cracker Jack fan? Um, uh, and two, um, what are your thoughts on, on kind of this type of packaging and positioning, um, from larger companies? Is there a part of you that finds it like pandering or is it part of you that finds it like, oh, this is like, um, you know, this is a larger brand that's actually listening to their customer base and doing something to position it for a larger um, segment of the customers that are buying the product. So I obviously love Cracker Jacks. Um, yes, of course. And I love the gifts that they give you inside the bag. I used to, I remember those little stamps or whatever. From I did child. forget about the gifts. Yeah. I oh, forgot about that. So good. So good. <laughs> I think this was done through and through from like a marketing on the channel perspective. I think this was like an extremely well done campaign um, for a few reasons. I, I, I'm sure you guys have seen Mattel, you know, has been kind of the thought leader in and with, and with American girl, like there are a few of these companies that have started to, <clears throat> and Barbie um, really showcase, you know, I guess there's various things to think about, right? So it's always been like Cracker Jack and now it's Cracker Jill. So I like the fact that they're, um, you know, showcasing that women too can be involved in, you know, kind of the wider sports industry and how they fit in and they should be prominently featured on something like this. Um, I also like what Mattel and Barbie and all these other companies have done also on a similar note to kind of expand girls' horizons as to roles and ambitions that they can have. I think Mattel has done the best job at it over the years of incorporating different types of people of color and, and people of different ethnicities and, and sexual orientations and job op occupations into their portfolio of products, which is great. Um, what I like about this is I think, um, just from a visual perspective, I think that showcasing people of all different colors um, is, is empowering. I think having, you know, kind of the, the female arm, the Rosie the Riveter kind of pose is great. Um, and I love that they're providing proceeds to the Women's Sports Foundation. I just think through and through nothing to me, nothing for me felt uh, off, I guess, with, with this whole campaign. I think it's great. Um, and I just, um, I, I, am, I would love to see more brands do things like this, which is just kind of whether it's for a limited time only or they offer something more ongoing, just it's, it's cool. And I personally, outside of, of what I do with the collective, I've been involved in a nonprofit called Step Up as a board member for many years, which is focused on mentorship for young girls in low-income cities around the country. And something like this just resonates with me personally and professionally because I think these are the types of campaigns that... I want to show to the girls and, and continue to say that there are, you know, things are changing and look, you can be there, you know, there are things outside just Cracker Jack, there's a Cracker Jill and you can be one of them. And so I, I, it hit me differently, but I really like this campaign a lot. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes with big CPG and I think a ton of great points, like with big CPG and we saw it with like, um, like Mrs. I think it was like Mrs. Butterworth or like Aunt Jemima, right? Like a lot of times, like if, if the public is going to CPG brands first, 
And then the CPG brand is then like, okay, like walking backwards and being, and then being kind of reactive, it comes off differently than like when the CPG brand is being proactive and understanding like, no, we live in a different time. Like before Cracker Jack was like originally coming out, like we have a larger white, like a base. This is not us making like a change to some sort of like uh, to appease anybody. This is us making a smart decision to incorporate most more of our base, make more of our customers feel seen. And really, like, um, I think it's a smart business decision on top of just a smart ethical decision and a way to run a brand right now. So I like big CPG actually being proactive in this space versus just kind of sitting on their laurels, sitting on the hands, waiting for someone to get upset and then making a change versus just understanding like this is different times. Um, it's a very diverse customer base out there and you have to make sure that all your customers feel seen to be successful, you know, in this day and age. And so it was really excited to see a company actually be proactive with this um, and hopefully it pays off for them. Um, CJ, kind of any thoughts to add? Um, I mean, I think you guys did a, a great job outlining this. I don't need to, to repeat there. The the kind of one other thing that I found interesting in here is it was almost a throwaway line, but they were basically saying like, hey, women's sports have been growing in popularity because they're having more outlets for viewership. Um, and like, so if you, if you have streaming ad supported channels, you know, no longer are, are, are women's sports competing for like the prime time spots that like the NFL already dominates. Um, and, and so if you can put them on like Hulu and on, on um, you, know, uh, you know, Netflix, et cetera, like great, or not Netflix, that's not ad supported, but some of the, the, the prime stuff that they, they use for ad supported stuff, like that's just a whole new channel that has so much less friction and lowers the bar as far as what a profitable looking um you know model looks like for the sports like I, I thought that was interesting like hey if you know because if you if you carry that forward like that that's gonna allow for more more you know media deals for these women's sport leagues which will allow them to do you know more in-person you know in-stadium fan executions and like like interestingly enough they're like hey by the way most cracker jacks are actually sold in the stadium um, and so the, you know, the, the, the more the business model for, for women's sports can change, and that is almost always starts with media rights, the more um, the in-person experience in stadiums is going to be able to get better. So I thought, I thought that was an, just an interesting point in the article. Yeah. See, we don't always just rag on big, big CPGs here. If you do something good, we'll, we'll give you the kudos for it and, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you this, um, the due success for it. So excited to see how this pans out. I think too, is like Cracker Jack is something I always remember like from my youth. So if this can hit more people at that impressionable age, you know, when they're younger, uh, I think the bigger impact this will have and, and hopefully the brands, um, you know, will continue to grow. Um, and now I have it like stuck in my head and I want to go find a, a box of it. I was just going to um, say, <laughs> I was going to say, Cracker Jack, we could all send you individually our addresses, you know, <laughs> just in case you want to well, send us any product. The <laughs> most interesting thing, too, is I saw it like in a bag and I'm like, I could have remembered as a kid, it came in a box. And so, yeah, definitely came in like a mac and cheese like type box. So, like, that's why I was like, why is it in a bag now? Like, that definitely affects the flavor, although it probably doesn't. Um, cool. So, moving to our last topic, um, I thought this was super interesting. We haven't really touched on this topic yet. Um, but one of the things like I've always been intrigued about, you know, since joining kind of this, um, this industry is a lot of times brands are really like kind of, um, a little bit elitist when they're thinking about like, listen, my product only is going to go into these stores because affluent shoppers shop here, they're going to have the budget to buy my product. And, you know, this is the stores we're going to focus on, especially you hear that's kind of everybody's plan in the first three years. We're not going to go to conventional channels or other channels. And in my mind, it's just kind of like everybody has access to a lot of information now. Everybody should have access to high quality, you know, better for you products. And a lot of times that, you know, food equality just isn't there um, in a lot of our mindsets and especially in a lot of the, the products that show up in lower income grocery stores, you're not going to see a product like, you know, an Olipop or a Bonza or a Rise or, or anything like that or a Chomps. Um, so I was really excited when I saw Welfare come out. I'm going to kind of read what they are because I don't want to get it incorrect, but they're a nonprofit called Welfare. They've worked to basically create uh, free boxes of premium CPG food products to low income families. They're starting in Bushwick, but I kind of love this idea of like this co-op or kind of, um, you know, food box system that's meant for lower income families to introduce them to, to better for you products. Um, I love the fact of the brands participating in this. 
um, you know, not necessarily, hey, listen, these are customers that are going to buy our product, um, you know, right now, but it's exposing customers, especially younger customers to their product long term, and it's making a difference. Uh, we don't usually cover a ton of nonprofits on this company, but I just thought, um, you know, welfare was a really cool concept, we wanted to shed a little bit of light on it. Um, Taylor, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on, you know, we'll start with you on, on what you thought about kind of this model. And do you see this working? And then do you kind of share my belief sometimes where, you know, I think we're, we're kind of viewing um, affluent customers as the only customers for these high-end products, which is kind of what we talk about a lot, but obviously, you know, kind of everyone deserves access to that, that better for you products that are, that are coming out right now. I think this is such a great idea. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just another example. Like I, I I'm friends with Matt and the team from rethink, which, you know, they take all of the food from, you know, high-end Michelin star restaurants, and then they, you know, give it to the food banks. I mean, obviously in a different facet, but it's just making food more accessible to the masses. Um, and I think this is really exciting. I mean, again, um, why, why not? I, I don't, right? Like that's my first, my first thought of, I, I, I never heard of this company. Um, I, I love this idea. I think this is great. And I guess the first kind of thought that comes to my mind is why wouldn't this be something that would be available to people? Um, and, you know, I think um, people, regardless of their financial situation should, like you said, should have access to new up and coming brands and you never know what's going to change, you know, for people's, you know, in people's own day-to-day financial situations. And so someone may be in a situation where maybe they don't have access to it now, but they will. And what if you have the opportunity now to create that brand loyalty and, you know, down the road, they become even more able to, you know, buy your product, talk about your product. Um, and regardless, even if they don't change their financial situation, I think it's a, it's a really good thing to do to be able to um, provide access to people in these situations to new products and that they would never have been able most likely to have access to. So my, my answer is, I think this is, I think this is great. My QV is it's, it's great. And why not? And I think it's a smart move and be curious if other companies do anything similar. Yeah, I think for brands, like I've talked to so many brands that have done at-home sampling, um, you know, to people who they think is their customer base. And you you always hear everybody complain about the ROI just not being there. Well, like maybe each brand should just take 5% or 10% of that budget and kind of allot it towards more programs like this where, hey, listen, the ROI is probably not going to be there right away again in terms of like velocity or new customers, but at least you're going to be making a difference in some of that product that you might be you know throwing away at the end of the quarter or, you know, might not be going into circulation, at least is going to, you know, a better cause because I think food deserts are you know definitely a big issue um, and something where, especially in our industry, we have an ability to affect that. And you don't necessarily think of like dense regions like a you know like a Brooklyn or a Harlem as that but again like um, they don't have access to the same you know products as somebody you know a half a mile down the street might have so um, yeah I definitely think it's interesting CJ would love to wrap kind of uh, this episode and your thoughts on this one I mean so like you guys the California especially Northern California is kind of like the home of like the amazing grocery stores right like you know a, a lot of the rest of the countries countries caught up but you know the you know walking into a california grocery store was kind of always like this is the experience of like really interesting food and even down to like some of the local marts and like i just moved in san francisco because we wanted a bigger house so we moved into an area where you know for the same rent you could get a much bigger property and for the first time i have like absolutely no store within walking distance that would you know would get what 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 we on this podcast would consider like interesting and more healthy food and like and it was it was kind of just an interesting shock for me to like to walk into the bodegas that are around here and be like okay cool like i mean i like cookies don't get me wrong but sometimes i also wouldn't mind like you know a lemon perfect or or an olipop or something like that and it just it's not in the the food vernacular out here and so i i think this is a wonderful charity to help that but i also think that there are some very structural reasons as to why that occurs on price point. So I, th- I think like while well-intentioned, I think a lot of the comments that were just made, like, like, it, like I, what I would love to see is us looking for some kind of a potentially government-led business model to make this something that's not a charity, but an actual program. Like I mentioned SNAP in the article, like 
you know, SNAP can be made to account for low sugar options or, or, or higher nutrient-dense options. Like, and that's the only way you're going to change these companies' mind because if, if there's a certain segment of the population that will pay an enduringly higher price for something that's better for you, and there's another segment of the population that will not due to financial situations, that's not going to change what gets distributed to those stores unless, you know, a government program like SNAP or, or other ways of correcting negative externalities like the much lambasted sugar tax in New York. Like, that's the only way you can change this. Um, you know, I, I think this is a wonderful idea, and I will go try and, and, um, and donate to this charity because I do think it's very, very cool, but it will not change company behavior unless there are other, other things that, that go more deeply to the profit motive and business model of these companies um, and change there. Yeah, I think the one thing we might have seen that with, and, and I just remember this when I was when I was with my last company, but we used to speak to a company um, called Commissary, um, and they had grocery stores specifically for um, armed forces and, and giving discounted food to people who had previously served in the military. And usually it was in areas that didn't have, um, you know, a place where you could go out and find organic produce or, you know, healthy, better for you products. And so it was a big mission for them to bring those types of products in here. So that they give, um, you know, people who previously served access to that at lower prices. And obviously a lot of that was subsidized, subsidized by the government. Um, um, so it made sense for a company like us to engage in that. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, there needs to be programs like that where it does, you know, unfortunately monetarily <laughs> support the, the CBG products because they're not in the charity business themselves. Um, but I do think, you know, giving the accessibility for good food for everyone is definitely, you know, a mission where, you know, we can all get behind for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the, like the the cost of, you know, like a chickpea based noodle versus the cost of Kraft macaroni and cheese, you can never get them to one. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I, I like, the, you know, without getting too deep into philosophy, like these negative externalities pop up elsewhere. They pop up in healthcare costs. They pop up in, um, you know, in, 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 you know, people dropping out of school and, and, and various other things as a function of, of lack of nutrition and focus. So it can be fixed and stuff like this starts the conversation. Um, but I would love to see, you know, a follow-up, you know, and, and have this be more more solution-based than, than charity-based. Although that's not to say I don't think charity is wonderful. Awesome. Well, I know we I think before we started recording, I was like, ah, it sounds like a shorter episode. And now here we are. I was just going to say, <laughs> as soon as who, you said that, I who like, would I have known that minute, <laughs> Cracker Jack and Jill would have elicited uh, a longer you know, episode for us. But I think that was the thing for us. Like we only went with four topics today, um, but they were uh, definitely stuff that, um, you know, triggered a, a longer response from all of us. So it was good to see. So um, we'll be back next week um, with a guest. Um, so super excited for that and some of our upcoming April episodes. Um, thanks so much to Taylor and CJ, and uh, we'll be back next week with another great episode.